Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We got a trade to start the week. What a fun way to start the week, huh? That'll wake you up. I was actually in kind of a sour mood. Things weren't really, like, we had a really nice weekend, uh, but there was something about today that just felt a little bit off, and the NBA lords, the lords of basketball, have given us a piece of raw meat first thing here on Monday, at least on the Pacific Coast. I know you guys are after lunch on the East Coast already, but we got raw meat here on Monday morning. The Lakers, the first team to make a trade deadline... I put in quotes, a trade deadline move and acquire Rui Hachimura effectively for Kendrick Nunn. This is a fantasy basketball podcast, so I don't really care about the fact that the Lakers sent a bunch of second round picks. Who does? People that track that stuff, which I have a lot of of trade deadline stuff to promo uh, for all of you guys at some point during today's show. But from a strict fantasy basketball standpoint, all we have to care about in this trade is is that Rui Hachimura is now a Laker, and Kendrick Nunn is now a Washington Wizard. That's it. Don't worry about the other stuff. It has no bearing on what's going on fantasy-wise this year. There's also some other complicating factors in this trade. If you look at it from the Wizards' side, you've got Kristaps Porzingis, who badly turned an ankle in their last ballgame, and he's listed as week-to-week this morning, so kind of crummy news there. Actually, in a sea of cool and fun NBA news over the last, like, 24 hours or so, the Kristaps Porzingis stuff is, I believe, the only kind of unpleasant news. But he's out week to week. Uh, We've got Rui out now, who was also a member of that front court. And so all of a sudden, there are all of these front court minutes available. And for how many weeks were we hoping that Daniel Gafford could kind of turn a corner and be a more consistent player on that club? It feels like right now, uh, he has no choice. Meanwhile, Denny Avdia, who's been extremely up and down lately, extremely up and down, and frankly, it looks like he's been having some issues with his confidence, it kind of feels like he has to do more as well. Let's look back at the Wizards' last ball game, and we're going to go through a reverse chronological lightning round over the weekend shortly here on today's show. But just stopping on the Wizards for a minute, and we'll jump over them when we're doing our reverse run through the weekend. In that last ball game, Daniel Gafford played 24 minutes, Denny Avdia played 25, Rui Hachimura played 30, Porzingis played 23 before he went out. So let's just simple math this thing. Porzingis, uh basically 30 plus minutes per ball game gone Hachimura who was kind of hovering more towards the 20-ish range when that team was healthy a little bit higher than that like 22 23 interestingly adds up to basically what they played in that ball game on Saturday which was about 53 minutes together magically suddenly for two completely different reasons those minutes are now available That's a lot of extra playing time that just popped loose on the Wizards. 53 minutes, that's a lot of pieces to pick up, you know? So someone's going to have to do something. Now, the Porzingis thing is 
shorter term, medium term. They say week to week, but that's like, you know, week to week is not that insane. It could be one, it could be two, it's not a rest of season thing. What do you do? Well, I think most folks are right now debating, do I pick up DeLon Wright, Daniel Gafford, or Denny Avdia? And the answer isn't that clear, because Taj Gibson is going to play a little bit more. And you're getting pretty different fantasy stuff, depending on which of those guys you pick up. I'll say this. Kendrick Nunn coming in, and I don't think he plays all that much, because he's a good outside shooter. Kendrick Nunn is, is just a slightly above average score, but he's he's pretty miserable on defense and yeah, I don't know that the Wizards are going to have a great place for him because they've got Monty Morris at point guard, DeLon Wright's been sort of ramping up. I think they really like what DeLon's been doing. He was a plus 20 in this blowout win for them. I'm adding DeLon Wright kind of regardless of all of this other stuff. He was already on my teams by the middle of the day yesterday. So I'm not that worried about what Kendrick Nunn does to DeLon Wright. So instead, I'd like to focus our attention more so on the front court. And I have to lean Daniel Gafford. Mostly just because without Porzingis, there really isn't, and Hachimura, frankly, the only other option at center. I mean, they could have gone small ball Hachimura at center. The only other option is Anthony Gill. And he did get to play, but that was when everybody's out. That was when Gafford and Porzingis were out at the same time. Taj Gibson played as many minutes as his legs could handle, then he sat. So now, I almost don't see a way, at least while Porzingis is out, for Gafford not to get to 25 minutes per ballgame, and probably more like 27 or more. So in my estimation, Gafford has to be played right now, because his fantasy game is extremely user-friendly. He fouled out of this game on Saturday in his 24 minutes, or he probably would have logged more. It's almost like we caught a little bit of a break there where people are going, oh, well, you know, Porzingis was out, but Gafford still only played 24 minutes. He fouled out of that ball game, and he was part of the units that were winning that game by a lot for Washington. Avdia has a little bit more of a well-rounded fantasy game, but there's also the ceiling for Avdia in that he pretty much doesn't want to score. He's not going to be the first guy to go get a rebound in this unit. It's going to be Kuzma and Gafford, and then Avdia will do some boarding. Assists, they've still got the guys that handle the basketball, especially with Bradley Beal back. They don't need Avdia to run point the way they did when Beal was out. So it's a different... He has a different role here. I actually liked it better when it was Beal and someone else out for Avdia because he became a little bit more of a point forward. But right now, they've got Beal, they've got Monte Morris, they've got DeLon Wright... They've got plenty of guys that can initiate the offense. What they don't have is a front court. So I prefer Gafford over Avdia in the front court battle, and I still like DeLon Wright in the back court. What about over on the Lakers side? Let's talk about what's going on there. Does Rui Hachimura get an opportunity to play enough to see fantasy value? My immediate feeling is that the answer is kind of no. That in 12-teamers... Maybe this week. This week could be a little bit of a different beast because Anthony Davis isn't back yet, although like he might be back by Friday. I think they play Boston on Friday on the road trip. It's either Friday or Saturday. You might get Anthony Davis back for that ball game. In the very near term, let's say that Hachimura gets to L.A. and he's like able to play in tomorrow's game. It's, it's an L.A. battle, Lakers and Clippers tomorrow. 
I think he actually could have a pretty good role in that ball game. But he doesn't know their defense yet. He doesn't know their sets. He doesn't know any of what they're doing on offense. So it's not like I, I don't think. I think it'd be kind of malpractice for a Lakers team. Thank you, Andres, uh, says it's Saturday with Boston. I knew it was at the end of the week. There's... It's it, the Lakers are actually playing pretty good basketball right now, and I think they like what they just got from a just a standard trade standpoint. This is a really nice win for LA, but I don't think that they can risk just dropping Hachimura in there for 32 minutes on his first day if he doesn't know how they're trying to defend people, especially when you consider the fact that if they did just drop him in at power forward or small forward or whatever you want to call it next to LeBron and next to Thomas Bryant... He's going to be guarding Kawhi Leonard and probably a little bit of Paul George at some point in this game on Tuesday. Although, you know, PG, maybe he deals more with, like, Pat Bev and Troy Brown Jr. and Juan Toscano-Anderson or something like that. Hachimura is a little bit uh, bigger. He's a little bit more of a power forward than those guys. He's not a terrific defender. He's fine. He's average. He's a better defender than Kendrick Nunn was. So I, I guess that's a little bit less of a limiting factor on the Lakers' side. But in my opinion... By the time Hachimura kind of understands what the Lakers are doing on both sides of the ball, you're going to have AD back. You're going to probably have Lonnie Walker back. And you might even have Austin Reeves back. So, yes, he will have a safer role in L.A. than he had in Washington. But I don't think it's going to be enough for 12-teamers. So, to me, to me, and I'm more of a roto guy, you know this, but to me, the ad here is Daniel Gafford. When Porzingis comes back, it's actually conceivable that there isn't an ad from this trade. A lot of what we're talking about right now is only relevant because Kristaps Porzingis is also hurt at the same time as this trade going down. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I always a good show opening rant. Who doesn't love a good show opening rant? This is the best kind, a trade rant. Mmm. Of course, the Lakers and the Wizards, man, they just keep making trades. Wizards probably won the last one. I, I, I would find it difficult to see a path where the Wizards won this trade unless one of those three second-round picks turns into something. But, hey, welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. -E I hope that you will. Other than the Porzingis stuff, we have a whole bunch of kind of semi-fun things to talk about, and we're going to dive into a reverse chronicle... <laughs> Try again, Dan. A reverse chronological lightning round weekend where we blitz through all 30 teams, now 29 of them because we talked Wizards and a little bit Lakers, so maybe 28 of them, over what I hope is roughly the next 25 or 30 minutes or so. We'll start on Sunday. You know, a couple of times I was going, like, true backwards on the reverse chronological lightning round, but that became kind of complicated. So we're actually just going to do it by day. We'll go Sunday, Saturday, and then anybody that didn't play over the weekend. Many of you know I typically don't look to see which teams didn't play over the weekend, and then we get to Friday and and uh, Mr. Magoo our way through that one to figure out uh, which teams we haven't covered yet. But let's start with Sunday morning. Clippers beat the Mavericks 112-98. Not, from a fantasy standpoint, very little sort of give and take on the Clippers' side. I think the only thing to note, Norman Powell did play 30 minutes, but you're going to see his usage decrease here with both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in the lineup. I like, so, you know, 
I'm a little torn on the Norman Powell thing in that I think in head-to-head, you know, actually in both formats, I think he's a hold for different reasons. On head-to-head, because you get enough situations where the Clippers have a back-to-back, then PG and Kawhi will probably maybe even trade off resting one half of the other, and so Powell gets a ton of usage in potentially both halves of of said back-to-back. But also, on the head-to-head side, he's doing kind of just enough even when the stars are in. He's not going to be... I don't think he's a top 100 guy when Kawhi and PG are playing. But I think he's close enough that when you get a game where one of those two guys is out, he jumps so far forward. We saw it when both guys were out and he was, you know, like a top 20, top 30 kind of dude for a night that it makes sense. On the Roto side, he makes sense as a hold and someone you just technically kind of bench until one of the superstars is out. And we know they will be because it's Kawhi and it's Paul George. Now, that said, uh, Kawhi's been amazing lately. Kawhi's been a beast. He's inside the top six over the last month now. Yeah, I know. It's awesome. He's shooting 53% from the field over that stretch, 94% at the free throw line on pretty good volume. He's back to being an efficiency juggernaut. So Kawhi is in. Something I thought was kind of funny with Kawhi is, and it, and it brings up, and I don't want to get too far sidetracked because we got a lot of teams to cover still, but it really pulls, I thought, into perspective how the beginning of the season can completely shape a player's narrative. Kawhi was awful at the beginning of the year. He tried to play. His knee hurt. He had to sit for like three weeks. He came back. He's been touch and go. They did the slow ramp up. It was one thing after another with him. But, and so everybody was like, oh, this season is, is, is ruined. There's no saving it now for Kawhi. Uh, and yet, here we are. Leonard is, you know, top six over the last month. And even by totals now, he's inside the top 150. Kawhi Leonard is ahead of Giannis in totals. Now, some of that is the punt free throw thing. But, like, LaMelo Ball, Kawhi's played more games now than LaMelo Ball has. He's played more games than Cat. And I get it. These guys have also been very frustrating this year, but I didn't, I've never heard the kind of ire against those dudes that we've seen directed at Kawhi. And now, I mean, I, you know, I hate to keep bringing this up, but it was something that, that really irritated me. There was a thread from a, a pretty famous person that was directed at me asking if he should trade Kawhi Leonard. And I said, no, you got to sit on him. Like you, you made this third round, probably investment on draft night. You got to wait it out because you're not going to get anything. And a bunch of analysts popped into the same thread to basically say, trade him for a hill of beans. And I was like, this is not only is this bad analysis, but this isn't your thread. Uh, so it was this double whammy that, um, and I was like, this is, this is just not right. And a lot of those guys that were being thrown around are these dudes that are, like, sitting in the top 120, 130 range on a per-game basis. They just don't help your fantasy team. I understand, like, let's say you could trade Cat right now and get, I don't know, top 50 back. That's different. At least a top 50 guy pushes the boulder forward for your fantasy team. Trading a guy with top, and Kawhi Leonard, top 10 per-game upside. Cat, probably not that high this year, but still top 20 upside. Trading those types of guys for dudes that are plodding along in the 100 to 130 range, those are streamer-level players. You're going to drop them, probably. That's just bad That's just bad fantasy advice. So 
have a little patience, and also try to remember that the beginning of the season is always going to weigh more heavily on your heart than the middle of the season because it's the only thing you remember when it's happening. If Kawhi got off to a really hot start and then missed seven weeks, you'd be mad, but you'd be like, oh, at least I got to see him as Kawhi for a few weeks beforehand. And it's this mental, it's this brain-heart thing that goes on. Um, and it's why Kawhi has been so hated this year. But now I'm seeing people that are like, oh, hey, should I trade Kawhi Leonard for like two third-rounders? I'm like, oh, my God. Can you remember uh, in November when people were like, trade him for Dylan Brooks? And I was like... Now you can get two third-rounders. Sweet. Uh, on the Dallas side, what we've seen from this ballgame is that there isn't really an obvious fill-in for Christian Wood, and you just kind of have to hope he gets back quickly because the Mavs were already a little bit of a paper tiger, I thought, based on kind of a weaker schedule they were picking on and a very Luka-centric team. Wood was making them better, so that hurts, obviously. But, you know, while Christian's out... More shots for Spencer Dinwiddie, more shots for Tim Hardaway Jr. These guys were largely rostered anyway, and they seem to be getting the only real bumps. Like, Dwight Powell's playing more, but it doesn't matter. The healthy Miami Heat. Questions here are, what do we do with Kyle Lowry? What do we do with Victor Oladipo, at least coming into the ballgame? I think Lowry, I hope, at least convinced most of you to just hang on because he goes, he's streaky. He's like very much a poor man's Freddie Van Vliet from a fantasy standpoint. He'll go on hot streaks. He'll go on cold streaks. It's very hard to watch when it's a cold streak. But threes, steals, oftentimes assists. The Heat really just very few assists in the ballgame because they couldn't make any shots. But they found a way to win anyway. And the way that they won anyway is that the Pelicans are wildly shorthanded. Victor Oladipo, uh, he's a hold for me as well. He played 33 minutes in this game. He's become the primary bench dude for that team. And he's a massive steals guy, so you got to hold on there as well. On the Pelicans' side, Brandon Ingram went through a five-on-five practice. He didn't play, but things are about to change dramatically for this Pels team. Now, you'll have Ingram on a minutes limit, I presume, for at least the first three or four ball games he comes back. But it does make this team really hard to handicap right now because Trey Murphy might fall off, but Zion's still out, so it's possible he kind of hangs on. I think Herb Jones almost definitely does fall off. Larry Nance had one of his better ball games here, but it's been kind of fluctuating because they've oftentimes needed Jonas Valanciunas and his offense in the lineup. Here's what it all comes down to for me. Larry Nance, I know everybody expects me to pick him up every time he has a good ball game. I don't think I actually am with this one. Trey Murphy, I'm going to hold on to. Dyson Daniels, I'm not adding here yet because Ingram coming back actually probably does push him out of the starting lineup. So Dyson's a no for me. Herb probably does continue to start. The question is, are his minutes guaranteed once Ingram comes back? I think the answer there is also probably not fully guaranteed. And then McCollum likely slides back down to the point guard starting spot. So yes, obviously he remains in your fantasy starting lineup. Um, but we're going to have to be reassessing here very shortly. So I don't, I don't think that I would spend a whole lot of brain space on this team if you weren't already. Toronto beat the Knicks. Knicks are down Mitchell Robinson and Emmanuel quickly here. They need Mitch Rob. He's everything to them on the defensive side. One thing that I said over the weekend that I stand by is that the Knicks were going to go small with Robinson out until quickly got hurt. Then they kind of had no choice but to go a little bit bigger. Jericho Sims played 33 minutes in this one. 
It didn't sound like Quickly's injury was all that serious, so I'm not adding Sims unless we find out that Quickly is definitely going to miss another ball game. At that point, yeah, then he's probably a one-burger guy, and that's fine. And then everything else kind of stays the same for this team. I'm getting a lot of should I drop Quentin Grimes stuff, and my answer there is likely no. He's, again, playing huge minutes, and he's he's a 3 and D guy, so the floor is going to be these quieter games where he's not scoring a lot, but there's still other stuff built in. Toronto finished up their five-game week. If you had Gary Trent Jr., you really cashed in in the five-gamer Precious Achua actually had a really nice five-game week. Also, Scotty Barnes has largely been a bit better lately. Freddie Van Fleet's been trending up again lately. We know what to do with Toronto. Uh, Chris Boucher got to play a little bit more here in this one, but he had actually been pretty bad of late. Uh, Precious Achua likely a drop now, since Toronto's schedule is not as good anymore, and he's not super trustworthy, although, again, he was a little bit more consistent this week. Yeah, I mean, if you really wanted to hang on, you could... I just I get really nervous because if OG comes back and and then you're not dealing with five games in seven nights, then there's just sort of no reason for it. And on the Roto side, Achua oftentimes does more damage than uh, than how much he helps. And yeah, I think I'm just moving on there. Phoenix and Memphis, the Suns. This is quite a thing. The Memphis Grizzlies lost to the Lakers, and now the Suns in back-to-back games. They're all human. It happens. Teams go on winning streaks. Then there tends to be kind of the flip side to that stuff. And this was this is likely that. Um, no real notes on the Memphis side. Obviously, the big note on the Phoenix side, Chris Paul back and looked good. 22 points, 6 boards, 11 assists, 3 steals, a block, 3 three-pointers. Uh, I, I offer you this sigh of relief as we slowly try to work Chris Paul back into things again. Let's hope that he can stay healthy this time around. Um, For as horrible as this season's gone, he's still number 45 on a per-game basis, and he's still only shooting 42.5% from the field. So that's going to continue to trend up for CP3. Torrey Craig at a big ball game. Obviously, having Chris Paul around makes these other guys better. Having a point guard that gets him the ball at the right time in the right spot. The actual real note on this game, I'm not adding Torrey Craig, by the way. I don't care that he had a better ball game. The actual note for me on this ball game. Cam Johnson, second game back from a long injury. That's a big That's a big thing. Guys always come back with this big surge of adrenaline, and then it wears off, and then they have this adjustment period, and that's what you're getting now with Cam Johnson. If you can get him for like an 80 to 110 range player, this is your window to do it. And I'm going to be tweeting that out as well. So just in case you guys didn't aren't listening or watching the show all that carefully... Buy on Cam Johnson. This is the window to do it when he's in that getting his legs back thing. Okay, see, no real notes there. Uh, I mean, Jalen Williams has been quieter. This is, again, why I don't know that he's guaranteed to be a startable dude once uh, Poku comes back or Jeremiah Robinson Earl, but you're still playing him for now. Denver was without Michael Porter Jr. and Nikola Jokic for this game, and it's worth sort of sticking in the back of our heads that When one guy's out, Bruce Brown just plays everywhere on the court. When two guys are out, if it includes Jokic, Zeke Nagy actually had a pretty good ball game here. 12-10 and with a couple of blocks, missed a bunch of free throws, so you hope that doesn't happen again. But again, just put it in the Rolodex. Short-term, Bruce Brown is the easier play here if anybody for Denver misses their next ball game. And we move on. Brooklyn at Golden State. Very few fantasy notes on this game as well that it, that are different from what we'd already been talking about. Royce O'Neal's been very back and forth 
in this KD fill-in run. He had a few games where he looked really good, then he completely disappeared. He actually seems to kind of go as Kyrie goes, which I suppose makes sense because when Kyrie is humming, defenses have to key in on him a little bit more, and that opens up a guy like Royce O'Neal to do some of that other stuff we've talked about. I think I still classify Royce as more of a schedule stream kind of play, and no, I don't trust Joe Harris or Seth Curry or TJ Warren as anything more than really low-end schedule streamers. At least Royce O'Neal's kind of like a good schedule streamer. It's Kyrie and it's Nick Claxton, and it's sort of Ben Simmons as the guys you're doing uh, on that team right now. On the Warriors' side, I do want to offer a quick thought on Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins, actually, while we're at it. Uh, Wiggins is going to get better. He's been fighting through a bunch of stuff. This is kind of a buy on him. Uh, we knew he wouldn't last where he was at the top all year, but he's still number 44. I think everyone expected him to fall off. I would see if you could get Wiggins for like a 75 to 100 range guy also. And Jordan Poole, I think you ride it out now. His efficiency has all of a sudden take a, taken a massive leap forward. He's up to number 134 overall on the season. But I thought the really interesting thing is that it's spiked now as the team's gotten healthier. He's inside the top 80 over the last month. His scoring's really high, and a lot of those games were without Steph. But even if you go ultra short-term and just look at like the last two weeks, which is partly with Steph back, Jordan Poole's been top 25 because he's shooting 49%. Just ride it out. You're not going to get equal value for him, so just enjoy it. And then the last game on Sunday, which was what? Was that a seven-game Sunday? We already talked about the Lakers now with the Rui Hachimura stuff going on. It's worth pointing out Thomas Bryant lunging back into the forefront. Uh, they might need him to deal with Evita Zubats, actually, against that Clippers game. It's also possible that Kawhi and Paul George play him off the floor. Uh, but those two dudes are not super fast. That's the stuff that really beats up on Thomas Bryant because those guys beat their defender. And then Bryant is back trying to guard fast guys by himself. Paul George and, and Kawhi are not typically just blitzing past their dudes. It's, you know, around a screen, or Kawhi oftentimes can overpower almost anyone on the wing in the NBA. So it's possible that Thomas Bryant has a decent ball game against the Clippers. He could also have a decent one against the Spurs. My thought there really is, AD's coming back. If you're, if you're concerned at all that Bryant might have a bad ball game on the night you drop him into your lineup, then just don't. Don't hurt you that much. Dennis Schroeder's on one of his little heaters again. He's generally not trustworthy when LeBron is playing. He's been better for two in a row after being awful for about four or five games straight. It evens out to kind of more in that schedule streamy zone. It also helped that Russell Westbrook was bad Russ in this ballgame, and so they just needed more out of Schroeder. Does Rui Hachimura impact him very much? Eh, but again, Lonnie Walker does, Austin Reeves does, obviously Anthony Davis does because he takes away a lot of the usage. I just don't think there's a point in trying to wring a couple more drops of water out of whatever's going on with these Lakers streamers because guys are coming back. This is return to the Mac time for L.A. Portland is, this, this intrigues me because we've heard now rumblings that there's a lineup change potentially coming for the Blazers. And everybody's like, oh, it's got to be Josh Hart. I don't know if it's got to be Josh Hart. They're a very small bottom three on that team. But doesn't it kind of feel like if you're going that route, maybe you consider Anthony Simons as more of like a bench gunner, which 
feels like an interesting look for them. Get a little bit of pop coming off the bench because the Blazers' bench right now is, is, sorry, Portland fans, your bench is god-awful. Gary Payton, Shaden Sharp, Nas Little, and Drew Eubanks were the only four players who came off the bench yesterday. Eubanks was the successful one, and I don't think he's about to jump over Yusuf Nurkic, but, I mean, maybe. So my thoughts are, maybe it's Josh Hart. Maybe he is the guy that gets kind of scapegoated for whatever's going wrong for the Portland Trailblazers right now. It's not going to be Dame. It's not going to be Jeremy Grant. It could be Yusuf Nurkic, because he looks slow out there right now and somewhat disinterested uh, oftentimes. Do they dare just start Drew Eubanks for like a week just to send a message to Nurk? That's a possibility. Maybe you let him pick on a second unit. In my mind, going more defensive-minded around Dame makes more sense in the starting unit. So maybe you get Gary Payton in there instead of, say, Anthony Simons, bring in a little more bench scoring pop that way, uh, and get a little more defense in a first unit. Does that also mean maybe Eubanks? I just think there's a lot of stuff that could happen. But not a lot of it would change how I feel about the players from a fantasy standpoint. Simons might be better coming off the bench and taking a bazillion shots, although you had plenty of them in this ballgame because the Lakers were so keyed in on Dame. Uh, Nurk coming off the bench would not necessarily be better. Um, I don't know that it would be worse. Drew Eubanks starting would be better. Hart coming off the bench would be worse if that's the one that happens. He's a guy that could, that could see his numbers take a dip because he is sort of a low-usage, pile-em-up kind of guy. But let's see. Something's got to be happening because the Blazers, outside again of kind of catching the Mavericks on a day when, or on a weekend when uh, Luka could barely stay upright, they've been awful. The Blazers are 2-8 and eight in their last 10 ballgames, and the two wins were over the Mavs when the Mavs had no energy. Blazers right now might be like the second or third coldest team in the NBA. And they are <laughs> they are behind the Lakers now after this ballgame. Lakers are in the 12 seed for... First time in God knows how long. Turning the page to Saturday, I also want to remind everybody to check out our buddies over at expressvpn.com slash hoopball. That's the special link. You get 15 months for the price of 12 over there. And if you use Thrive Fantasy, use the promo code ETHOS to get a deposit match bonus on your first deposit up to $250. Boston-Toronto. Almost nobody survived that first game on Saturday morning. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is out with a personal issue. That's a different thing. But Robert Williams had a very low-grade knee hyperextension. He's questionable, which, frankly, in my mind, is very good news. He actually did come back and try to play through it a little bit. Uh, so I don't expect him to miss a ton of time. I think they... I mean, you're talking about the team with the best record in the NBA right now. Um, so pushing it feels a little bit dumb. If they do it, yeah, then I'm calling you dumb. They have a four-and-a-half game lead over the Sixers for the top seed in the Eastern Conference. There's just no reason to throw Time Lord into a game unless he's fully healthy. I would expect him to miss one, maybe two, maybe three ball games at the absolute most. But then Marcus Smart is the one that was probably the bigger issue. His ankle tweak looked pretty gnarly. Uh, now... If you're thinking kind of medium term, Jason Tatum also sat this ballgame out. So you can't take a ton away from that particular box on Saturday. But what you can do is say, okay, well, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, those guys are in. Al Horford is in a really good spot, and he's been just sort of quietly rumbling along like usual. Outside of those three guys, with no Marcus Smart for a little bit, 
probably know Time Lord for a littler bit, and then Malcolm Brogdon for probably the littlest bit of the three. Derek White is a must-play guy. Yeah, he's a burger board dude. He's an injury replacement, but he, to me, the, the individual game per game potential is so high with White that like you have to use that a game up roto head to head whatever you ha- like you have to get it in there because the, the the top rung is so powerful uh the other one is grant williams now he got hot in that game on saturday that's not going to happen every night but with all of those guys out with smart brogdon robert williams out to me it feels like the celtics aren't gonna have any option other than to give grant williams like 35 minutes a game and that will be enough better for roto than head to head but it's got to be enough. You'll also probably see, and we saw it on Saturday, about 20-some-odd minutes of Peyton Pritchard, um, but he won't have the usage, typically, with both Tatum and Brown in there. Those guys are going to soak up most of it, even though you you know the Brogdon stuff comes kind of back out into the mix. We talked to Washington already. Orlando, um, Jonathan Isaac is expected to make his return for the Magic. Wow, kind of buried the lead on that one. He's probably going to play, like, what? 12 to 15 minutes, uh, but it'll be interesting to see who those minutes come at the expense of. Is it Mo Wagner? Is it Bol Bol? Is it somebody that we're not thinking about right now? He's a Roto Games Cap stash only, as I've said before, and I continue to feel that same way about Jonathan Isaac because it's going to be a slow, painful ramp up. He's a Keeper League darling right now, and then if you can wait until... I don't know. They'll probably max him out at like 23, 24 minutes of ballgame, but that's still enough for, for Isaac to get into that 75 range uh, on a per-game basis. And maybe if they let him go a little farther than that, I don't think they will. That's where you sort of get that gravy built into it. Um, I think it's going to take at least three weeks, maybe more. Maybe you're thinking all-star break for him to get up to whatever the top gear is that they want him at. Charlotte beat Atlanta. Uh, Gordon Hayward came back and was... Sort of typically kind of quiet. Uh, he just hasn't been good this year. He had some defensive stats in this one, so that was useful. But with no LaMelo Ball, the big winners are Dennis Smith Jr. and even more so Terry Rozier, who's been on a vicious tear lately. Woohoo! Just eight, nine weeks of buy lows finally pay- paying off, everybody. This is why we keep doing it. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. is interesting. I-, I was really excited about him when I thought Hayward was going to stay out. Hayward return puts a bit of a lid on DSJ, but he still got up to 27 minutes. And frankly, for assist steals and oftentimes blocks alone, that's probably enough. Uh, but the sort of 60-70 range upside that I thought he had when it was going to be Hayward and LaMelo Ball both out at the same time and Ubre, uh, that's probably capped more at like 90 range. So if you want to move on from Dennis Smith, I'm okay with that. Not much to do here with Atlanta. Uh, Clint Capella retaking his starting job, as we all expected. Everything else went pretty much according to plan. Donovan Mitchell expected back, I believe, was the latest news for Cleveland today. Uh, Yeah, he practiced in full today, earlier this morning on Monday. So I would expect to see him back for the Cavaliers tonight. That means whatever you were doing with Karis LeVert, you can go ahead and just junk that. And then from Milwaukee, junk it all. Giannis and Middleton likely to both be playing for the Bucks in their next ball game. Uh, I would expect Giannis to log pretty close to normal minutes. Middleton, no, he'll probably more. Uh, he'll probably be closer to twenty, if I had to guess, because he's been getting a lot of time in with the G League. So the conditioning is is back around a little, but they're really not going to push him too hard. I don't think I would start him 
in almost any format. I think I'd probably leave him in an IL slot for another game if you could, and then maybe get Middleton back for his second game upon coming back. The Timberwolves uh, finally had a bad game out of Kyle Anderson. At least he still had f- seven boards and four defensive stats. It, it couldn't He couldn't have a triple-double every ball game. Uh, Nas Reed keeps getting himself into foul trouble. It happened early in this ball game, and then in the second half, they just kind of went a different way. So that's annoying. He didn't really get a chance to take off without Gobert the way we thought he would. Rudy's close. He was practically a game-time call for this one, so you might see Gobert for the next ball game, meaning... You can move on from any backup centers on the Timberwolves' side. Sounds like Carl Anthony Towns might have had a setback in his recovery, so that means we get even more slow-mo. Tough to be upset about that, I mean, unless you're a Carl Anthony Towns manager. Uh, but yeah, obviously hang on to Kyle Anderson because he'd been trucking prior to this one. Over on the Houston side, it's the same old crap. Shangun at least, is playing better in these ones. Uh, K.J. Martin, kind of a points league fill-in with no Jabari Smith Jr. and no Kevin Porter Jr. Tari Eason finally got a start, 27 minutes. If someone could guarantee us he's playing 27 minutes the rest of the way, he'd be an immediate add. But my guess is Kevin Porter, who's likely, I think, back for the next ball game, probably obliterates whatever his value was, and we have to probably deep sigh, keep on waiting. Indiana, uh, Aaron Nemhart was bad in this one. He was trying to play through a cold, and it didn't go very well. TJ McConnell triple-doubled, though. His fill-in run has been a thing of legend, so keep him going. Let's wait and make sure that Nemhart is fully healthy, I think, before dropping him back into a lineup. And frankly, there are so many injury streamers available these days that you don't, you don't 100% need to hold on Nemhart if there's someone else super interesting hanging around out there. And Philly sat their starters. Uh, The Kings didn't um, and lost. That's not a great look for Sacramento, but they're doing fine this year. Uh, 26 wins. They only need, like, what is it, six, seven more um, to hit our season win total over bet, and then I can take my wife somewhere nice for dinner. I put too much on that one. It makes me nervous uh, to go a little bigger on bets. I'm a nervous man by nature. You guys probably know that about me. Uh, But looking over at the Philly side, so this is the thing with DeAnthony Melton. Um, You can take this exact same box score, and you can look at it in two very different ways. One way is to say, well, like, duh, Melton had a big ballgame because guys were out. But Melton had a big ballgame because guys were out, also meaning he's always the first man up. When someone is down. No, it doesn't matter who it is in the starting five. He has so many paths to continued value. That's what makes him, in my estimation, such a hard player to drop. Now, I know he had some some brutally awful games when uh, the team was fully healthy and they were bringing Tyrese Maxey off the bench as the lead gunner there. In this game, he didn't even need that much usage. His rate was, I think, 18 for the ball game, but even that was enough for him instead of whatever it was, like 11 or 9 or something in single digits playing alongside Harden and Embiid. But the thing I like about Melton, and the reason that I'm hanging on to him in every league where I have him, number one, if any of Tucker, Harris, uh, Maxi, Embiid, or Harden gets hurt for even one game, he has fantasy value. And the second thing is that in the last game before Philly rested all these guys, Melton played 32, 33 minutes with the starters. 
that's enough for him, even if he doesn't score very much, that's enough for him to get a three ball, a few rebounds, a few assists, two, you know, one and a half-ish steals, half a block, whatever. That's enough to keep him kind of above that line. Now, on the Roto side, maybe you don't use a games cap, Melton, when everybody's healthy for the Sixers. But head-to-head, I think that's enough to say, look, hold on to me until a week comes where I can really blast the door open. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. That's just the way I feel about Melton. All right, let's play the age-old game of who didn't play Saturday or Sunday. We'll look at the Friday card, and the answer is... San Antonio didn't go over the weekend. Utah didn't go over the weekend. And that is it. San Antonio, Zach Collins is a really interesting trade deadline stash. They have ratcheted down Jakob Pertl to about 24 minutes per ballgame. They've turned that center spot into a timeshare because they're trying to lose, and that's fine. Uh, and they're also trying to keep Pertl healthy because the less he plays, the less likely he is to get hurt. And honestly, you might see Pertl just get rested two or three games leading up to the trade deadline because there's an opportunity for the Spurs to get a first-round pick. Jakob's that good. Uh, and risking that at this point is would be bad management of a franchise. So you'll see him continue to kind of taper down. Uh, I think buying, actually, on Pirtle is a great idea because when he gets moved, someone's going to give him 25 minutes of ballgame, and that's what he's at this year, basically, as a top 75 dude. So find somebody who's like, oh, no, Jakob Pirtle, he's going to get traded, and then he's not going to get played. He's going to be buried on a team and play 20 minutes, and oh, no, he's being tapered off here by the Spurs and just kind of treat it like a, a startable stash where you're going to get top 100 value out of him the next couple of weeks, and then maybe it ticks up if he gets moved. Otherwise, I don't think I'm doing much. I, I know the Spurs had a big scoring game here. The Clippers didn't take them very seriously, and pretty much everybody for San Antonio shot over 50%. That's just not going to happen. Uh, one of the fears with Zach Collins is that his block rate is not super high, but as a starter, he'd be able to get you one. And typically his rebounding rate is a bit better than this one, but hard to rebound when neither team misses any shots ever. And yeah, I don't I don't like the other young dudes as stashes, really, on this team. And then with Utah, uh, Mike Conley still took eight shots, but had four free throws, didn't hit many of his shots. But I like the five boards, I like the nine assists, I like the steal. If he makes one more three-pointer, we're talking about a pretty good ball game. So I like what Conley's been doing here lately. Um, Kelly Olynyk, we haven't really had a report on him but he will probably hurt Walker Kessler a little bit, who is absolutely a hold. I know this was a bad ball game for Kessler, but he'd been amazing leading up to this one. Um, and then pretty much the rest of these guys are schedule streams. Malik Beasley's a schedule stream. Sexton is a schedule stream. Vanderbilt has kind of fallen back to schedule stream level. And we'll reassess again with Utah when we next see Kelly Olenek. What's coming up tonight? Medium-sized Monday, we got a seven-gamer. Boston, we already talked about all the crazy crap going on with them and how many guys are out, uh, so I don't want to rehash that here on the show. Orlando, if this is indeed the magical return of Jonathan Isaac, to me, I gotta see it. That's a must-watch game for me, or at least his stints on the floor. Just see how he's moving, because they've been so, so careful with him. Epically careful, redefining careful with Jonathan Isaac. What do they let him do in a first game back? 
Milwaukee, same steal, same story with Chris Middleton. Now, they haven't been quite as careful with him as Jonathan Isaac, who's been out for two and a half years, and Middleton's been out for whatever it is, like a month and a half. But Chris really hasn't been right at any point this season. So my guess is that they're going to go real kid gloves with him too. Detroit, they finally get back on a normal schedule. I think they got a three-game week, so whoop-de-doo after a one-gamer. Should be well-rested. I'm curious how many minutes Jalen Duran gets in this one because he looked great in their game in Paris. Uh, but he only played like 18, 19 minutes. They're a little careful there. Um, Detroit's going to be a seller here coming up to the deadline, too. So a lot of these guys have a chance to do little bits more as we approach it. Minnesota will be keeping an eye on Rudy Gobert's status. Houston, you'll keep an eye on uh, Kevin Porter and Jabari Smith Juniors, respectively. I think Kevin's supposed to be back. I don't know what we last heard on Jabari, but I wouldn't mess around with it because offensively that team is in an entanglement of inefficiency. Atlanta, nothing. Chicago, nothing. Charlotte, eh, I guess Dennis Smith Jr. you could throw in there. I still don't think Gordon Hayward is a, is a 12-teamer in most formats. Can I say most? Because I know one of you is going to be like, he works for me. And I'll be like, okay, I said most. That's the point. Utah, we just talked about a second ago. San Antonio, same story. Stash ideas floating around there. Portland, do they make a switch here? This would be a game to do it because you pretty much have an automatic W going against the Spurs team that will simply not try to win this game on the road. Uh, with a total of, oh my God, the totals are high today. Especially that last game. Oh my Lord. Boston-Orlando has a total of 229. It's the only game with a total under 234. Whoa, NBA. Anyway, so if Portland wants to make a lineup change, this would be a great time to do it because then you put a win in the bucket and everybody can be like, hey, it worked, even though it was very clearly the opponent. But life is all about vibes. And then Memphis-Sacramento, there's very little fantasy-wise that we're watching uh, in that ballgame. Okay, that was it, man. That was a pretty hefty one. Thanks for tuning in here. Everyone on the recorded side, I want to remind you all that we're trying to do as many shows as possible over on the YouTube uh, station. Yes, I said the YouTube station. Uh, which again, youtube.com slash sports ethos. And if you tune into our YouTube shows, you can use the chat room and I will answer as many of, oftentimes all, of the YouTube chat room questions at the end of the show. It's a really cool thing we're doing, at least for now. And that's my way of trying to tell you guys, come on over, join us live next time around. For everybody listening on the recorded side, thank you. Again, follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. And we will talk to you guys on Tuesday.